1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace, and I have had the opportunity to be here a number of times now, and so I think I know many of your names, which is great. It makes it a whole lot easier to come downtown and feel like uh, I am participating in something as opposed to just talking at you. And I know, right, uh, from my experience, that if I say Mr. Abdo, I've got half of you covered. (laughs) So that's good. That's helpful. Um, We are going to be talking about Philippians again tonight. We are in a series um, in Philippians, and the idea, the main idea in this series has to do with our identity, with recovering our true self, the self that God intended for us to have when he made us. He made us perfect. He made us to be complete without error, and that is his desire for us. And so we want to talk about Uh, in successive weeks, right, over the course of time, what it looks like to be that person that God intended for us to be. And tonight we're going to talk about um, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And I'm going to have to turn this on for it to work. Hold on. It's not your fault. It's my fault. There we go. Um, And when we talk about Christian citizenship, it may be a strange or a foreign concept, so I want to do just a little bit of introductory building here. A citizen is somebody who lives in a place and follows the rules of that place. That's pretty straightforward. We kind of know that intuitively. Most of us, if we had to uh, describe what it means to be a citizen of the U.S., you'd say, well, you kind of have to live there, probably, and you should probably also obey the rules and the laws of the United States. That's kind of important for being a citizen. Um, In most countries, it's true that if you're born there, you're a citizen. Not always, but usually. And so those are some key concepts, right? You have to be from that place. You have to follow the rules or look like a person from that place based on what you do and what you say, how you act. And Paul is going to tell the Philippians that that is important, sure, right? Be good citizens, but specifically be good heavenly citizens. He's, he's going to tell them that when we die with Christ and are raised with him to new life, both of these factors, those, both of these conditions of citizenship are going to change. Where we're from, we should stop thinking of ourselves as from any one country in this world and start thinking of ourselves as from heaven, as from a different home entirely. And we should stop worrying about the laws and practices of this world and start thinking about the ones that God has called us to. Living laws, not laws of death, but laws of life. So that's his message for the Philippians. It's his message for us tonight. Um, And it's especially important for the Philippians because they are living in a colony of Rome. 
You guys know what colonies are, right? It's when one large country wants to make smaller versions of itself. They go out and they grab land and they say, okay, this is going to be like a little England, right? Or this is going to be like a little Rome. And Philippi was one of those places. And the people there had Roman citizenship. And it was important for them that they were Roman citizens because that came with rules, with, uh, with order and law, and it came with privileges, right? They could expect certain things to go a certain way because they were citizens. And we can too. When we leave this place, right, we're going to drive on the right side of the road uh, because we're in America and that's the way our rules uh, go. But if we were leaving in England, we would drive on the left side of the road, right? We, we expect certain things. And for the Philippians, it's part of their identity because they're living in a colony and they're all uh, colonized citizens. So they, they want to hold on to that. But Paul says this other citizenship is more important and it's true for us too. This other citizenship is more important. Um, to get to the idea of citizenship, we have to do a little work. And I know you guys just a couple of weeks ago read through the entire book of Philippians. I'm not going to do that tonight, but I'm going to read the whole first chapter. So everybody stand up again. Nope, just kidding. Don't stand up again. Um, but do read with me if you have uh, the Bible open in front of you. I'm going to read it a little bit uh, a little bit faster than you might read it for yourself for study because I want to read it like a letter. So if you can't follow along this fast, that's fine. Just listen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. You didn't hear the word citizen there, and I'm going to explain to you why in a second, but this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. All of this that has happened to me is to advance the gospel, and it's going to happen to you in similar ways as well, only you can't just let it happen to you. You have to live now as a citizen of heaven if this is going to happen to you, and it's going to produce fruit. So I want it to produce fruit in you. Paul wants it to produce fruit in us. So let's ask the Lord to do that. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, I pray that this word would produce fruit in us, that we would see what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not just content to be in this world um, and to live according to the laws and rules of these places. Lord, but I pray that we would be content only when we have built our foundation on your love. Uh, when we have made that our firm foundation and when we know that you are our king and that that is where our allegiance lies. Help us to see how to do that through your word tonight, I pray. Speak through me, Lord, not, uh, not that they would remember my words, but they would know yours. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so three things. Um, there's going to be a sign for you to pay attention to, a sign of citizenship. Here's what uh, Paul says it will look like if you're a citizen. And then... If that sign is present, there ought to be also an effect, right? So here's the sign of you being a citizen, and then here's the impact. Here's the effect of you living as citizens. And then the third thing is, um, slow on the uptake, there we go, the privilege and responsibility that you all bear as citizens. So if you, in fact, have that sign and the effect is present or evident, then also there's this thing that comes with it, this uh, responsibility, this privilege and responsibility. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, and we'll start with this idea of a sign, and I'll explain now why you don't see the word citizen. If you have an ESV, which is what I was reading from, you don't see citizen, because in verse 27 of chapter 1, the translators decided that they would take this Greek word that only appears once in the entire New Testament, and they would try and make sense of it in a way that would uh, be understandable for you as readers. And so they looked at that word, and they said, well, it kind of has this connotation um, of citizenship, but it only appears once in the New Testament, and we think a manner of life is probably a better phrase to use. And the New Living Translation, right, those, those translators said, no, no, we think that that word really ought to be captured here. And so if you have the New Living Translation or some others, you'll see that it says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, because they think, no, that's the more important concept to capture there. And the reason that I'm pulling this out for you is because later in this series, I think it's Jason, is going to preach on chapter 3. If you have uh, your Bible open and turn to chapter 3, you'll see in verse 20 that Paul says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in chapter 3, a different version of the same Greek word is going to be used, and Paul is going to um, once again come back to this idea of citizenship, and there, even in the ESV, you'll get this idea of citizenship. And, and some of you have ESV study Bibles, and they, they make a note of this, so uh, it shouldn't be that strange to you. But I wanted to pull it out because when we talk about citizenship, we don't usually talk about ourselves as being citizens of heaven. We usually just talk about our earthly citizenship. 
where we vote, right? What sort of laws we have to obey, what sort of flag we recognize, those sorts of things. But Paul says there is a heavenly citizenship that we need to pay attention to. And he says that there is a sign of being a citizen, and it is conducting yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. If you do that, you are demonstrating that you're a citizen of heaven. So that's fairly straightforward, right? Do what the Bible says. Case closed, we're done. You guys have all figured this out. You've heard this before. Yeah? Ryan's nodding. He's good. You're excused. The difficulty is uh, the gospel, right, covers all of life. It's everything. And so what, what, what are we supposed to do with this? What, is, what does it mean to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel? Well, Paul elaborates. He, he does say that it has to do with what we speak, right, what we say, how we act, all of it. And he says that it should be all-encompassing. You should be a little bit overwhelmed by this because you are actually demonstrating to people that you are from a different place entirely, right? That you belong to a king that they probably don't recognize. So Paul says it this way. He says, the sign should be evident to those who see your lives. He says, whether I come and see you, this is Paul's words in 127, whether I come and see you or I only hear about you, I should know that this is true of you. So we are really talking about all-encompassing here. And he does give us some examples. He does make it a little more practical. He says, um, you ought to be standing together with other believers in the purpose, the power, the authority of the Holy Spirit, fighting with other believers for the faith, for the good news. Jesus says this a similar way when he says, um, you will you'll be known as my disciples by your love for one another. So this is Paul saying, here's the sign of your citizenship. Here's, here's the sign of your allegiance to a king other than earthly kings. It's if you love one another and if you fight alongside of one another for the sake of the gospel. And the Philippians know that Paul understands what this means, right? The significance of this. Because this is exactly what Paul and Timothy and Silas do when they come to Philippi. I know uh, Jason preached a couple weeks ago. He talked about Acts chapter 16 as being sort of the introduction that we get to the Philippian church. And in that introduction, we see Paul doing exactly this. He comes with other believers and they work alongside of one another. They fight alongside of one another for the sake of the gospel. And for their pains, they're thrown in prison. But they fight together for the sake of the gospel. And that's a sign to everybody around them that they're different. That even though Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, their actual heavenly citizenship is on display, right? They belong to somebody other than a power of this world. And so that's evident based on what they do, what they say, how they act. There are also some effects. There's some falling out from this. What happens? So Philippians 1.27, again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ or live as citizens so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then he says, and not frightened. This is, an, this is an effect of you being one of those citizens. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. There are kingdoms at war with our king. In fact, if you are swearing allegiance to the God of the universe, right? If you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, then you are technically at war with all other kings. So you will have opponents. People will oppose your work with the church and for Christ. That's going to happen. That's an impact of you demonstrating that sign of being a citizen of heaven. People will be opposed to you. And also, 
You are not to be frightened. So we'll talk about those in order. You will have opponents. What do those look like? Those look like people who reject God, right? People who verbally say, there is no God. I don't believe in God. I think God is evil. I think you should stop believing in God. That very verbal, very direct um, confrontational approach, right? Those are people who oppose the gospel. And we've encountered that. We've seen some of that in our life. Today, we understand what that looks like. We have a cognitive understanding of what that might be. But there are also people who reject God verbally. They say, there is no God. I don't believe in God. But then they take all of the good things that he does and they claim them for themselves, right? They say that, yes, you should be compassionate to one another. You should be kind to one another. But they want to strip that away from God. And that is also an opposition to him. And similarly, there are people who profess to believe in God, but they prove otherwise with their actions. That's another opponent of the faith. So you will have opponents. And this is only some of the opposition that you will face. We'll face lots of opposition. Like I said, if you swear allegiance to Jesus as your king, you're technically at war with all other kingdoms and thrones, even the ones you set up for yourself. So we will have opponents, but we're not to be frightened in anything by our opponents. And again, Paul is speaking to the Philippians. The Philippians know exactly what he's talking about. If you guys remember the story, Paul and Silas, uh, they go and they preach and they free this young girl who's possessed by a demon, and they're thrown in prison. So, of course, the Philippians know that they will have opponents. Paul is writing to the Philippians now from prison. He has been imprisoned again. So they know we will have opponents. That's clear to them. But Paul says you must not be frightened in anything by your opponents. And this is an an impact, an effect of being a citizen, that we should not have fear. Why should we not have fear? Because our king... Our king is God. Our king is in control of the entire universe. That's why we should not have fear. And here's what is true. If we are living as a citizen, a citizen worthy of the gospel, then we are actually representing Christ, and anyone who poses us is actually opposing Jesus, not us. Now, if we're doing things of and for ourselves, then we are building our own kingdom, right? And people who are opposed to us are opposed to us. But if we are doing what Scripture asks us to do, if we're living these words out, if we're teaching these words, if we're loving as Jesus loved, then anybody who opposes us in any way, shape, or form is not opposed to us at all. They're opposed to him. And so this is how we are free from fear in the face of opposition, because we know that they're not actually going toe-to-toe with us. They're going toe-to-toe with God. If you go to a foreign country, and that country is hostile to you, right? As an American, if you're a law-abiding citizen... The United States stands behind you and they say, we will support you. And you have the full power of the United States behind you if you're a law-abiding citizen and you're doing what you ought to do. And in the same way, right, but to a much greater degree and scale, God says, if you love me and keep my commandments, then anybody who opposes you actually opposes me, not you. Don't be afraid. Do you guys know what Paul and Silas were doing? Do you remember what Paul and Silas were doing in prison? when they had been beaten and thrown in prison, what were they doing? They were singing. Thank you, music teacher. They were singing. Is that fear? Maybe if they're lunatics, right? If they've lost their mind, they might be singing. Or they could be praising God, which is what the scripture says. You can only do that if you believe that your king is in control. And they did. They were without fear. Your lack of fear, it's going to be a sign of your salvation. This is what um, 128 says. It says, a sign of your salvation 
and also of your opponent's destruction. So let's take those one at a time. Sign of your salvation. Turn to Romans um, chapter 8. I'm actually going to read a few more verses than are listed there. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. You guys are familiar with this passage, no doubt. Um, But this is Paul arguing that being a citizen of heaven should keep us free from fear because of how great our God is. Listen. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who, inter, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a citizen of heaven, then you should not be afraid of any opposition because your God chose you. While you were yet a sinner, he chose you. You didn't choose him, he chose you, and so he is going to guard you. If he crucified his own son and raised him to life again, how much more will he be able to take care of whatever opposition you face? So your citizenship, you working alongside of other people, that that identifier that the scripture talks about, that should remind you that God loves you and cares for you and that he's saved for you, a sign of your salvation. What about the fact that it is a sign of your opponent's destruction? Turn back to John chapter 16, um, and I will just read a few verses here. John 16, uh, starting in verse 8, Jesus says, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When we are fearless in the face of opposition, it is a clear sign, right? A light bulb to people who oppose us that there's something going on in our life that they need to account for, that they need to explain. Because fear is natural in the face of opposition. Tell me when uh, is the last time you were thrown in prison for your faith? Anybody? When was the last time you were thrown in Facebook prison for your faith? Anybody? Just looked at funny at a family dinner. We've got a couple. All right. We don't face the kind of opposition that Paul is talking about, but Paul is clearly talking about severe physical oppression. He says, don't be afraid, because when you are not afraid, you are demonstrating that you are saved, and you are demonstrating that those people who are afraid are condemned. And God doesn't want them to just be condemned. He just doesn't want them to be fearful. He wants them to come to salvation. I'm going to go back to that story in Acts again, in chapter 16. There's this jailer, Right, who is responsible for Paul and Silas. And there's an earthquake that frees them, and this jailer is afraid, and he is ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas say, don't, don't do that just yet. We're here. right? Don't, don't worry about yourself just yet, but let us share the gospel with you. 
And God uses that situation and convicts that man of his sin, just as Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And now this man accepts Christ and is saved and his whole family with him. So when you are fearless in the face of opposition, it's not just so you can be proud and boastful. It's so that you can be an agent of the Holy Spirit and so that he can come into people's lives and convict them and bring them closer to himself. Right? So don't be a citizen just for you. Be a citizen for Christ because he wants to use you. This isn't just about how you feel. This is about what you can do for the kingdom of God. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you. Be a sign of salvation to those around you and a sign of destruction through the power of the Holy Spirit and draw other people to himself. So this is what we can do. This can be the effect of our living as citizens, and this is going to come with some privilege and also some responsibility. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We're right not to be frightened, and also it is our privilege and responsibility to suffer. You guys know what a grant is, right? Um, a lot of you are grad students or have been recently. If you get a grant, it means you get money, right? And it's free money in so much as you don't have to pay it back, which is great, right? We are being granted salvation, which is great, and also suffering? What am I missing here, God? Help me understand. Why am I being granted the privilege and responsibility of suffering? Why couldn't you have just made us perfect? What does Scripture say in Genesis? He did make us perfect. We chose sin instead. Okay, fine. We chose sin instead. But why couldn't you have just made us perfect anyway? Afterward? I don't know. There's not a good answer from Scripture for that. But there is something about this. So let's talk about this. There's a purpose given for suffering, and it's at least twofold. One is to advance the gospel. It's to spread the good news. Paul says this earlier in chapter 1. When I read it, I don't know if you heard it, but I'll, I'll read it again. He says, I want you to know, brothers, chapter 1, verse 12, that what has happened to me has already served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul? He was thrown in prison, released, preached for a while, and now is thrown in prison again. His suffering has served to advance the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that my suffering, what has happened to me, has served to advance the gospel. I don't know why I had to suffer, but God has put it to this use. So know that. Also, in chapter 2 of Philippians, and we're not going to get there tonight, but we're going to get there soon in this series, we're going to see how suffering makes us more like Jesus. So this is another purpose that God uses suffering for in our lives. He makes us more like himself. First of all, he draws other people to himself through us when, he, when they see us suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then also he makes us more like himself when we suffer for the sake of the gospel. That's why it's a gift, because we get to be more like Jesus. You say, well, I don't really want that gift. I don't like suffering. It's true. We don't like suffering. But here's the thing. We are going to suffer anyway. Right? Nobody disputes the fact that everyone is dying. No one disputes the fact that illness runs rampant in the world. No one disputes the fact that there will be suffering. So there will be suffering. You can either be a kingdom uh, citizen, right, where your suffering draws other people to Christ and makes you more like him, and that can be the purpose for your suffering, or you can just suffer pointlessly and die. And this is the choice that we're being offered. God says, 
I love you. I love you so much that I want this to have an effect that's beneficial for you and for the entire world. I want to redeem the world. So don't just suffer pointlessly, but be more like Christ. You say, well, that's still hard. I know it's still hard. So let's talk about some scripture where we get some encouragement, hopefully, about how to do this. James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brother, when you, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you suffer many different kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness, uh, and let steadfastness have it f- its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, Romans 5, chapter 2, Paul again speaking now in a different book, right? Through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's the salvation part. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is not for no reason that we suffer. God does have a plan. And Scripture is clear that that plan is ultimately for our good even when we don't see it. And we're not going to see it. There are going to be many things, many ways in which we suffer, and we don't understand why we have to suffer. But Jesus tells us, and James tells us, and Paul tells us, don't stop. Trust me. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. Trust that he did the very thing that he's asking you to do. And he did. He suffered and died for our sake. So if you don't know this Jesus... I invite you to come and know him because there will be suffering in this life. And Jesus says it can have a purpose. It can bring other people to salvation. It can make you more like me. And it's a gift when you suffer for the sake of the name. And that's going to be difficult. So I expect you to want to work through it, not just to accept it blindly. Um, You can talk to Jason. You can talk to me. You can talk to a number of other people here. Be glad to share with you why these things are true. And if all of that just still doesn't answer your questions, know this, that it will still be hard. Even when this is true, even when you live as a citizen of heaven and people can look at your life and say, yes, that person is without fear in the face of opposition, that person believes they have salvation, it's still going to be hard, right? There will still be things that you suffer through that just seem pointless and meaningless. People in your life will get sick. Uh, My sister was diagnosed with cancer this week completely out of the blue, had no idea. Uh, There's no explanation for that, right? There's no need, apparently, for her to suffer in that way, but she's going to have to suffer. But so will lots of other people this week. Some people have family members here who have died recently or are dying, right? My family is not alone in this. So there is going to be suffering. Are you going to allow it? to be a sign of salvation and to convict others and bring others to the gospel or will you let it be pointless and end in death? Um, I got a nice plug from Zach early. This was unintentional. We did not talk. But we do want to invite you to read through the Psalms as we go through this series. I know that the Psalms are not Philippians. Here's what we want. We would like all of you to spend more time reading your Bible. And we know that reading the Bible is a hard thing to start doing if you're not doing it. So we talked. uh, Jason and I, it was just the two of us. We came up with this plan all by ourselves. Um, It's not true. And 
we, uh, we decided that, you know what, the Psalms are accessible because they're fairly short. You say, no, wait a minute, Psalm 119 is not short. It's okay, we started with Psalm 119, we already did that one. So if you're starting now, you've already missed it. You're free and clear. And we're doing just a couple of psalms a day. We want to build up to three or four psalms a day as an opportunity for you to just have a guided reading plan, get in a good habit of reading the scripture. So if you text the word psalms to the number 94253, all that's going to happen is that you'll get a daily reminder that these are the psalms that we're reading. And once a week, there's a devotional that goes with them. So it's pretty low commitment. But this is a way that you can be encouraged amidst the trial. Right? This is a way that you can fight fear because this is the word of God. It's living and active, and it's good for you. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for giving us so much in yourself. And even more than that, Lord, you've given us a kingdom. You've called us to be co-heirs with you in heaven. I am so thankful, Lord. We are so thankful that you have shown us the way to go. Please help us to understand how to live now as citizens of your kingdom. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.